As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. The C.S. Lewis Podcast with Alistair McGrath. Thank you for joining us on the show that brings you the thought and theology of C.S. Lewis with me, Ruth Jackson. Discover more about Lewis by visiting premierunbelievable.com, where you can also find lots of great articles and podcasts. That's premierunbelievable.com. But now for today's show. In this episode, we're going to be hearing something a little bit different from normal, In November 2022, Ulster University hosted the first International Academic C.S. Lewis Symposium to be held in Northern Ireland. The event, called Now We Have Faces, was hosted by the C.S. Lewis Group at Ulster University in coordination with English at Ulster, and they have very kindly let us broadcast the talks on this podcast. They have another symposium coming up soon, on the 17th of May, so do check out the link below for more details. The presentation you are about to hear is by Dr. Sarah Waters, a lecturer in English literature and an honorary junior research fellow at the University of Buckingham. The title of Sarah's talk was Facial Misrecognition, Out of the Silent Planet and the Boundaries of Face-to-Face. This is the second half of Sarah's presentation, the Q&A, where she was also joined by Dr. David Clare, a lecturer in drama and theatre studies at Mary Immaculate College, University of Limerick. We will be hearing more from David in the next episode of the podcast, but here is Sarah and David's Q&A from the Now We Have Faces C.S. Lewis Symposium. Now is the time for for you in in the audience to ask uh, questions. Feel free to put put up your hand. We will try and and peer out into the gloom if if you have any questions. Okay, uh... Dr. Waters, um, with regard to Out of the Silent Planet, what would you say would be the confirming moment where Ransom has shifted from looking at to looking with the Malachandrians? That's a really good question. And I think probably where it is for me won't necessarily be where it is for everyone. Um, but there's a point um, slightly later where Ransom talks about the fact that he wanted to help. Um, so he says that he wanted to help in some way um, as uh, as a gathering supplies, and he feels for the first time like he can add something to the dynamic. And I think that's both a recognition that he's not superior, um, and actually he's inferior because he, he's trying to help, right? But he doesn't know exactly what he's doing. Um, but also by that point, he's making a concerted effort not to speak English at. Um, these creatures because he 
he has a habit of just when he when he panics, he shouts in English, um, and there's a kind of incongruity. And I think at the point where he begins more thoughtfully um, to use their language and to recognize that his language is insufficient, combined with that, I, I physically need to do something to help is probably the point that I would go for. But I'm open. I mean, <laughs> other other points because um, I think he kind of he does he sometimes backtracks as well. He just seems better because everyone else is so much worse. So like you compare him to Western, he seems way better. Because um, he is. I'm going to ask one question for both of you. I'll start with you, Dr. Waters. Um, I'd be really interested to hear your thoughts about how the idea of now, if I can say that right, plays into this. Because now, as I understand it, is just the concept of embodied rationality. And it sounds like there's a lot you could say on that. So I'd like to hear you get started. <laughs> Thank you very much. That's a nice question. Um, and good pronunciation. I, I, I mean, I think that the reality is none of us know how to pronounce it, so it's okay. Um, but um, I think that's right. So one of the interesting things about the way that the, the kind of transition that Ransom goes through where he realizes, actually, I'm engaging with a creature whom with I have a great deal of overlap rather than something wholly other, even though appearance tells me this is totally different, um, is, is grounded so much in that rationality that he is able to feel and see and see in practice as well. Um, and I think that we can have rational, uh, well, we can, <laughs> we can have rational conversations with rational beings virtually, but you lose something of that rationality, I think, right? I get un unnecessarily frustrated with Zoom in ways that I never do in person. There's some kind of there's some kind of gap because you can't quite feel the rationality of those conversations, those dialogues. It feels forced, right? Um, and so I think when when he's grappling with what that concept is and the fact that it's missing from a lot of human interaction. Um, is partly as he sees, well, actually, there is a limitation to something that I thought was normal. That's limited, actually. And this is so much more than that, this, this relationality. Um, because let's face it, humans are not always rational beings. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. There's a lot more that I could say. And there's a lot more, I think, to be done with that. And I think like, it would be great if, if, if people want to take up that work as well. Thank you. And then Dr. Clark. When are you going to be releasing your own biographical play on C.S. Lewis, <laughs> highlighting his Irishness? Well, I've thought about it often, actually. I, I thought I've, you know, compiled so many of these quotes where he's reflecting on his Irishness, and I thought it'd be great to write a play, you know, in which he comes home for one of those trips back to Belfast, back to Little Lee, and just has these different run-ins uh, with relations and, and family and stuff and tries to make sense of even his what his exposure to England has uh, done to sharpen his views uh, on a lot of these different issues, you know. And, you know, some of that does relate actually to the colonialism that's getting talked about in terms of, you know, it's kind of funny to see Lewis ranting about black and tans in The Four Loves in 1960, because what English author is ranting about black and tans in 1960? <laughs> and it's just one of those things where his distaste for... Um, the violence associated with empire and, you know, yeah, the negative othering of people from other places uh, is clearly related on some level 
to that Belfast background. And, you know, much as he was very pragmatic when he would be at home, there's that letter from 1920 where he says to his father, uh, I'm going to turn either green or orange outwards, depending on the company I'm keeping. You know, there's a pragmatism there, but at the same time, uh, you know, he actually in his own mind is making very strong ethical decisions about what he would support or not support. If you write it, I'll go and see it. It's a really big theater. Yes, for Dr. Clare, just to follow on from that one, the only work that I can think of in the Lewisian corpus that uh, addresses in any detail Lewis's Irish identity is David Leakley's C.S. Lewis at Home in Ireland. And it just seems that there's a little bit of bit of work that could be done, possibly when I'm retired. <laughs> yeah, well, Ronald Breslin has uh, the backward yeah. glance, which is very, very important as well for 1998. Yes. Yeah, so there's there's definitely things out there. And I've been releasing little bits and bobs and, yeah. and other people have as well. Yes. Uh, but yeah, no, there's there's loads more work to be done on this because yes. this is not a new phenomenon. Like from, you know, Farquhar and Swift right on through to contemporary yeah. Hollywood stars like but I think Fassbender. The, and I think the Melbourne. acid test is when you go into Hodges Figgis in yeah. Dublin, you never see Lewis listed as an Irish writer because right. he falls That's out right. with the sort of the parameters as, you know, the, the sort it's, of... The it's funny that you mentioned there because I actually yeah. went through a long campaign where I kept moving... <laughs> some of the worst books into the Irish section. Uh, I can I, sympathize I with that, yes. Yeah, yeah. Mainly because like, I have a hybrid identity myself then, and I've moved from RC to C of I um, and so on then as well. So I'm always very sympathetic and interested in those who have a, a kind of borderline <laughs> existence. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, yeah. that's very huge with Lewis. And yes. there's a lot of, you know, I mean, the ulterior motive quote from Tolkien comes from uh, Tolkien yes. complained to his son, yeah, that why didn't he become a Catholic? You know, I did my best to make him actually Catholic. It must be down to ulterior motives. Yes. And that's probably true. And yet, you know, because of all the things he did, like, you know, fasting on Fridays and crossing himself and going to confession and all the other things. Yeah, this is often often forgotten that, that Lewis, while not self-describing as an Anglo-Catholic, is quite close to it in his, yeah, in exactly. his observance. So, but that it took a lot for him to even get there, I would say. Yes. <laughs> quite. Thank you. Hi there, thanks so much for those uh, amazing papers. Just when we were talking about positive and negative othering that you were mentioning there, uh, Dr. Clare, you did maybe uh, mention that Lewis was sent to Oxford partly so that he would talk a lot more like Dr. Waters and like me, um, so that he would get rid of this accent because uh, he didn't want to have a Belfast accent. So there was that negative othering in terms of the perception um, of the... Ulster Scots or the Irish in England and vice versa. And then also, Dr. Waters, if you could pick up on the positive othering when they go to meet the Uarsa, the Uarsa and, and how the other uh, species of Mars are, are, they're living in harmony despite their differences. And maybe that's something that we could learn here. Yeah, no, I, I think, I think one of the, one of the interesting things about, um, out of the silent planet is the way that it represents unity in difference, right? Like that's unity is totally grounded in the fact that everyone is different. And that's really interesting and really exciting. And that is the reality of the world that we live in, except that unity is fragmented um, in so many different ways, because for reasons that I cannot fathom, people want some kind of homogeneity. I, I don't get it. You, you walk down the street and everyone wants to dress the same. Why? 
So it's just so boring. Um, and obviously a, a fairly uh, ridiculous example. But I think the way that it works in Out of the Silent Planet is perhaps a way that it maybe wouldn't work quite so well in society in, in that it, it works there because everyone knows what their gifting is and they, they embrace that gifting and they recognize that their gifting isn't in the gift of someone else. They don't want to take it. Um, and so that unity is able to take place because there's a really clear sense of identity. I think a lot of what happens in terms of fracturing in so many different ways is people are trying to find who they are, right? How do you find who you are? Well, if you're nice, you ask, you ask some people. If you're horrible, then you start trampling on others to try and take their identity instead, right? Um, and so I think a lot of it is about like finding, I mean, I mean, and Ransom has this too, right? He, he has to figure out like, what does it mean to be from a silent planet? What does it mean to be in a space where I feel more at home, even though I'm not at home? What is that like? Um, and he learns, he learns a lot of that through really good modeling of unity, indifference, and, and glorifying that difference um, as well. Sorry, just to follow up on that, you know, he, in, in ways, he, he seems more like the the inhabitants of Mars by the end of it than he does with the people from his silent planet. Absolutely. Yeah, I think there's, he, he goes back with a lot of reticence, right? He doesn't want to go home because home isn't home anymore. Uh, and I think I think that's absolutely right. He And it's, it, it goes for him much beyond just that this seems like a much more idealized utopic society. It's, it's more like... I see how broken where I'm going back is, and and I I don't know what I can do about that, <laughs> and I feel like I've got to do something about this. But but yeah, um, he feels very much not at home. But again, I mean that's something that Lewis does, does a lot of, right? He, he wants people not to feel at home in that world because it's not home. Um, so. Thank you. Any question? Um, I just wonder if you think there's a danger that. You move to redefining Lewis as Irish and therefore lose sight of the complexity of the Ulster Protestant identity and whether in fact he was just a very special individual who transcended any category. Yeah, I suppose um, what's exciting about Lewis is the degree to which he is very much a hybrid person and is very much acknowledging of the British cultural inheritance as well as the Irish. And so it's just that thing where, and, and it could be the fact that he's born and raised pre-partition and things like that, that he is just much more accepting of, you know, Irish as being his uh, sub-British uh, identity, you know? And there's that Scottish uh, critic, uh, Michael Gardner, who's got a great chapter in one of his books, The uh, Cultural Roots of British Devolution. And the title is, uh, Can the Sub-British Speak? And it's just a, it's a funny reflection on that thing that, um, you know, the, when there's a move away, let's say, from, say, Northern Irishness, Scottishness, Welshness, and just into exclusively into Britishness, you know, what exactly is going on there and exploring that dynamic? Whereas I think Lewis actually was very, very plugged in to not just uh, specifically his Northern Irishness and his Ulsterness and specifically his Ulster Protestantness, but he's also aware that he is part of this. Uh, grand British tradition. I mean, if we look even just at the titles of his works, then we see he's taking these titles like Surprise by Joy from, you know, Wordsworth. He's taking these titles from, you know, different writers down through the English canon. 
and you know the great divorce is an allusion to William Blake that kind of thing so you know he's never going to be like wrestled away from Britishness if you know what I mean uh, but it's the fact of the erasing of the Irishness and he actually would always be using that word Irishness so often as the quotes that I was saying say uh, now for me making different pilgrimages to Little Lee and you know all around Strandtown and just going around those places um, I was actually saying it to Peter earlier that uh, when I went into the Crawfordsburn Inn for the first time, my heart leapt because I was going, this is C.S. Lewis. Like, I don't know what I, what's happening here, but like, this is the peculiar mix I'm, I find in him, which is a mix of Irishness and Ulsterness and Britishness. Uh, and that's what needs to be mined. I don't, just wrestling him over just to like, quote unquote, some sort of weird pure Irishness, which is extremely dangerous, uh, is no good. But nor is it just to say, we'll just bung him over into some sort of British category or even English category that also elides so many of the important themes that are going through his work, including things like colonialism, including interests in, uh, you know, wider things around uh, the Celtic fringe, quote unquote, versus specifically Englishness. Thank you for listening to the C.S. Lewis podcast with me, Ruth Jackson. We were hearing there from Dr. Sarah Waters and Dr. David Clare. They took part in that Q&A at a C.S. Lewis symposium called Now We Have Faces. Discover more about Lewis by visiting premierunbelievable.com where you can also find lots of great articles and podcasts. That's premierunbelievable.com. Thank you for listening and see you next time. <laughs>